really this, um, this section in chapter 6, or really the whole chapter, we're dealing with three spiritual disciplines of not only the ancient Jewish religion, uh, but of, of Christians today. When we, we look at these three, we, we're, next week we're going to look at two of them um, when Pastor Stephen's back, uh, giving and fasting being two of those spiritual disciplines. And tonight we'll be looking at prayer as, as that third uh, spiritual discipline. Uh, n- next week, uh, Pastor Stephen's message will be entitled Eternal Over the Temporal. And again, he will be taking up uh, fasting and uh, giving. Let's go ahead. What I'd like to do is go ahead and stand and let's read our text for this evening, and, and then I'll pray and, and we'll get started. Uh, but let me go ahead and, and read. This is Matthew 6, 5 through 15, and this is the section on the Lord's Prayer. We'll just read this, these 10 verses. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you this evening uh, looking at this um, very special to me, and I know to so many in this room, portion of scriptures where, Father, you're, you're teaching and taught your disciples to pray, and, uh, Father, you're teaching us this model of prayer that you have provided us, that we have prayed uh, from Christians at, at, during this, this time of this writing uh, until now, and we'll pray into in, in eternity, Father, until we're home with you. And uh, we're, we're grateful for it. And, Father, as we look at it tonight, and I know we have, um, uh, most of us here have read it and looked at it several times, but, Father, I just pray that tonight that you show us, uh, Father, something new that you draw us close to you and to your heart uh, through prayer as we, as we study your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, be seated. So, you, you know, we call this the, the Lord's Prayer, uh, but it was really the disciples' prayer, wasn't it? You know, Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, not only their prayer, but, but our prayer that, uh, that's revealed to us in Scripture. There's a parallel passage to this, which is in Luke 11, 1 through 4. We see there in, in those verses, Jesus had been praying to his Father in a, in a certain place where he would get away in, in private and pray. 
Um, the disciples witnessed this many times. They would have seen him doing this. And when he was finished this particular time, they asked him, they asked him to teach them to pray like they had seen John the Baptist teaching his disciples to pray. So they, they approached Jesus and asked him to do this. The disciples needed help to learn to pray. And aren't you glad they, they did? <laughs> because what a blessing for us to have this model prayer that, that we can use when we pray. I, I know if you're like me, I sure, I, I need it. I mean, this is something I count on uh, daily to, in using this prayer as a model to pray. Let's kind of uh, go back and look at this starting back up in verse 5. Uh, when, when you pray, and that's the first um, on the, the outline there, that, that's number, number one there. And think about prayer like this. It's, it's really the greatest spiritual activity we can be involved in. There is nothing that brings us closer to God than prayer. And Satan, our enemy, he will distract us from prayer, won't he? <laughs> I mean, how many times have you been determined that you're going to set aside this time to pray and inevitably something comes up? And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be good things. But uh, Satan has a way of distracting uh, believers um, in, their, in their prayer life. Satan will not only distract us, he'll, um, he'll lull us into reducing prayer to uh, something uh, formal or a recited prayer and where it really doesn't come from the heart, where sometimes we are just going through the motions. We see in verse 5, um, again, when you pray, the assumption is a follower of his will pray. So when you, you see those words, it's, it's pretty evident the, and, the, and this sermon is primarily to believers. So what is a believer to do? Well, it says um, you as a believer when, when you pray. So the, the assumption is that we will. And uh, in this little book, I have showed it to a few of you, and some of you have um, seen it already and read it already. But uh, this book by J.C. Ryle, Do You Pray?, uh, just a, a, a great, great book. I want to reference the way he starts out this book here. It's a couple paragraphs long. I just want to read this because it really sets the, the, say, the stage to this uh, when you pray. And this is J.C. Ryle quoting from him. When it comes to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, one of the best pieces of evidence of his work is a habit of heartfelt private prayer. A Christian may preach. They may write best-selling books. They may make brilliant speeches and do endless good works and still be like Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. But a believer who goes into their room and pours out their soul before God in secret will, often, will not often do that unless they are in earnest. The Lord Jesus himself pointed to prayer as proof of Saul's conversion in Acts 9. Interesting there when, um, you know, Paul or, or Saul had turned from persecuting Christians on the Damascus Road and turned to Christ, and obviously everyone was questioning that. Is that real? And they were fearful of Saul. God gave Ananias only one piece of evidence of Saul's change of heart. He says in Acts 9, he is praying. Go and look for, for Paul. He will be, he will be praying. I know that a lot of things may go on in someone's mind before they start to pray. This is J.C. 
Ryle talking. They may have many strong feelings, intentions, resolutions, convictions, desires, wishes, hopes, and fears, but none of these things is necessarily evidence of a true change of heart. You can find all these things in unbelievers, and they often come to nothing. Often they last no longer than the morning mist or the dew that disappears with the rising sun. A heartfelt prayer which flows from a broken and contrite spirit is with, worth all these things put together. The Bible tells us that God's elect are chosen for salvation before, from before all eternity. It tells us that the Holy Spirit often leads them to a relationship with Christ step by step. We do not know the mind of God, and we can only judge by what we see. For my own mind, J.C. says, I cannot be confident that anyone is justified until they repent and believe, and I could never be sure that someone truly believes until he or she prays. I cannot see how a silent, speechless, uncommunicative faith can be a real faith. The first act of faith will be to speak to God. When somebody comes to a saving knowledge of, of Christ in their life, well, it requires a prayer. It require, requires repentance in prayer. A person cannot possibly live without breathing, nor can he possibly believe without praying. Christians throughout the ages, some rich, others poor. Some were clever, others were not. Some were from one branch of the church, others from a different one. Some loved formal church services and liturgy. Others preferred spontaneity and informality. But I see one thing all had in common. They were all men and women of, pray, of prayer. So I, I, I encourage you to uh, check that little book out, which we, which we do have in, in the library. Um, and, and then uh, let's look at how not to pray. You know, there's... Um, there's really two sections in here that we're going to break up, how not to pray and how to pray. So, you know, often when we're learning a new skill, we're taught what not to do first, aren't we? I, I think of uh, some of the young drivers in, in this room. Um, Kennedy, I, I said I was going to pick, pick on you tonight, but there, there, but there, there are others that, that are young and, and getting ready to drive, um, and, and we have a few. So watch, you know, watch the road out there. But I'm sure they're all hearing from their parents as they have their permits and they're out driving what not to do. Yeah, don't don't look at your phone. Uh, don't have your radio too. Don't have your radio too loud. Um, don't follow too close. Don't speed. Watch out. Don't pull out in front of that car. You know, all all of those um, come back to Jackie and I. I know in teaching our kids to drive, but but. Um, they are, are taught how to drive by, first of all, learning not what to do. And this is similar here when Jesus is teaching us to pray. Because right there in, in verse 5, do not, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. As, as I mentioned, we're in this section of these three spiritual disciplines, giving, praying, and fasting. And, and we'll see next week, too, these same, basically these same do-nots on, on giving and on fasting. And really what this is pointing toward is the, the Pharisees who were wrongly approaching these disciplines, these three disciplines of the faith. 
like many other things, they were looking at it incorrectly. They had the wrong heart, basically. They were wanting to be seen by men in order to elevate themselves. You know, when they gave, and I don't know if Pastor Stephen will get into this, but I couldn't help reading through this, but um, when they gave, they would break their money down into the smallest coins possible, and they had these in the, in the, um, in the temple there. They had like 13 treasury boxes that had a funnel, like an like a end of a trumpet that made of brass, like with a funnel on it. They would break their coins down into the very smallest increment they could, and they would, when they gave, they would throw those coins into there so everybody could hear them swirling down and, and going into the treasury. So that, that's, how, that's how they were elevating themselves. When they would fast, they would uh, stand on the street corner looking all disheveled and like they were starving to death, you, you know, it's, um, out on the street corner, like, look at, look at me, look at me, I, I'm fasting, doing that just to get noticed. And then in, in their praying, the ritual of the Pharisees, it was to pray at set hours. They would pray at 6 a.m., at 9 a.m., 12, and 3. And when it says they would go out and stand, this does not merely describe an upright position of a person's body. It, it involves striking a pose to gain attention. So at the appointed times, they would go out knowing, everybody knowing that was time to pray. They would go out and strike their pose and, and, and pray. They arranged to be at these most public places at the times of prayer. So they would be recognized uh, for their commitment, so-called commitment to God. This wrong attitude of prayer is reflected in the parable of the Pharisee and, and the tax collector. Uh, that's in Luke 18, 9 through 14. You're, if you want to, you want to turn there, let me just let's just look at that because what a what a story here um, or a parable that illustrates that illustrates this point. That's Luke 18, 9 through 14, the Pharisee and the tax collector. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So again, that's the whole attitude that we see here uh, of the Pharisees. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Can you believe that? Standing right there next to him, and he says, I'm glad I'm not like this, this sinner, this, this tax collector. And then, he, and then he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, knowing how sinful he was, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. This is Jesus described in this situation. Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, if we're not careful, you know, we can, we can come to church. Uh, we, can, we can serve. We can do all kinds of things here and in other places, uh, but if we're, uh, to look for validity, but if, if we're not here for the greatness of who God is instead of the greatness of who we are, then we too are hypocrites. 
and we're acting no, no, different, no different than they are. And it's plain here that where it says the only rewards received when doing spiritual things with the motive being to elevate ourselves before men is the reward we get from men. So that, that's it. That's the, you, you know, the praise of men when you're intent in praying or giving, fasting, or doing anything for the Lord, when your intent is to, hey, look at me so people will elevate you and pat you on the back, then that is your only reward. Continuing on with the how not to pray, let's, let's move down to verse 7, and then we'll, we'll jump back. But I want to hit all these how not to pray first. Um, and when you pray, in verse 7, do not, heap, uh, do not keep babbling like pagans, because they think they will be heard because of their many words. We need to avoid ritual prayers, like maybe some of us have, have taught our children. Nothing wrong with teaching our children and grandchildren prayers um, like uh, God is good, God is great, now let's thank Him for our food, and you know, th- those and many others, they, they are good. But as adults, there's a point we have to graduate from, from that and from um, you know, those, those type of prayers. I mean, the, um, yeah, it, the Catholics, um, some of you maybe grown up in the Catholic Church or have friends, but the, the Hail Marys that are just repeated over and over, uh, that's, that's ritual. That's, that's say this many Hail Marys and, and your sins are forgiven. Um, the Pharisees were full of these kind of empty phrases and many words that the key is that did not engage their hearts. It was all to be heard, all to be seen, all in going through the motions. Verse 8 tells us, don't be like them, for your, for your father knows what you need before you, even, before you even ask him. Jesus is not saying don't pray for our needs, but don't act as if we are informing God of something he doesn't know. Uh, you know, we don't need to belager it, belager it, and on and on, and, you know, pray as if God doesn't know what we need. We, we need to be praying in God's will and, and really not adding um, all, all of this other to it, like the, the ritual and the, the, the canned phrases and so forth. And, and we are to uh, pray, pray in secret. Back up uh, to verse 6. When you, when you pray, we're to go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who, who is in, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward, will reward you. And this is, we're, we're starting here in verse 6 with the how-to, if you're following along in the outline. These are the how-to how to pray. So the first thing is praying, praying in secret. We should meet with God in a, in a room or closet. The idea of this is just a private place where we can impress no one except God. This specific ancient Greek word room was used for a storeroom where treasures were kept. And isn't that fitting when you look at it that way? This reminds us that there are treasures waiting for us in our prayer closet if we'll just go there and spend time with the Lord. This is not saying we, we should not pray corporately or in a group setting like we'll be doing tonight in our prayer time or in our Sunday school classes or in D groups. There are plenty of verses that support us praying together 
as well. Like Acts 13, 3, uh, we, we see the church at Antioch praying together and fasting together before sending Paul and Barnabas out. In, in Matthew 18, 20, it says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, then the Lord, Lord will be there. So uh, this is not saying, no, uh, just only pray privately. It's, it's just saying here that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, those praying to be seen have their reward already. They should enjoy that in full. There is no reward in heaven for, for prayers that are man-focused. So that's the key. Even when we're praying corporately, our prayers should, it's always us praying to God, acknowledging who God is, not for your length of prayer or, or how you pray um, is, is not the important thing. In verse 6, um, we, we come to this, pray then like this, starting to get into the very meat, the meat of this prayer. Can't you picture the disciples um, hanging on every word when, when Jesus says that? Just think of this, you know, them learning to pray, having heard this for the first time. Uh, the, and Jesus is about to speak and about to tell them how they should pray. They were probably expecting a long prayer. You know, Jesus was known for long prayers uh, when, when he would go away and pray to his, his father in, in secret. Uh, he prayed for long periods of time. There'll be times when we will pray for long periods of time. This model prayer, though, that Jesus teaches us is not known for its length, but for its depth. This prayer can be read in a matter of seconds and, and spoken in less than a minute. What we need to remember is this prayer is a template, it's a how, not specifically what, to pray word for word that, um, on, on what we should pray, but it's a template. One can, one can pray long, but, but <laughs> to the wrong God. You know, we look at 1 Kings 18.26, the kind of comical story of Elijah and the, and the prophets, and when all of them were, were praying to, to Baal, remember that, and they prayed half a day, uh, you know, Elijah kind of teasing them, you know, pray, pray to your God. And he was trying to he was showing the Israelites, either you're going to choose this God of Baal or you're going to choose the one true God. And uh, Elijah let, let them go first and they prayed and they cut themselves and they carried on for, for half a day. And as we know that their, their sacrifice, God did not, their God did not um, burn up their sacrifice. What, did ha what happened when Elijah prayed? In a prayer that would have taken less than a minute, the, the sacrifice, the altar, the water around it, everything was, was consumed. So, you know, what we learn from this, prayer requires more of the heart than of the tongue. Uh, I thought that was an impactful statement that I, I read this week. Prayer requires more of the heart than of the tongue. When we try to imp impress God, or worse, other people, with our many words, we only are denying the God, the loving God, our Holy Father, that knows our heart. Instead, we should follow the counsel of Ecclesiastes 5.2, which says, God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Spurgeon said, um, Christians, prayers are measured by weight and not by length. Many of the most prevailing prayers 
have been as short as has been as short as they were strong. Every prayer, though, that we pray needs to be based on this Lord's Prayer. You know, there's another acronym that, that a lot of you use and, and I've used for years, and ACTS. And if you, you can kind of plug that right in with the Lord's Prayer, and you'll, you'll see that as we, as we continue to go through the prayer itself. But um, that's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and, and suppl- supplication, uh, praying for others' needs and, and our own. We should notice the primary focus of this prayer is not man but God. It's no accident when we begin this prayer, when Jesus begins it, the first three, the first three petitions are about God and his name, his power, and his purpose. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. This does not mean that we're to neglect the final three petitions with deal with personal needs, um, it, but it means we have to get it in the right order. You know, God, God first and, and then us. Commentator John Stott said, to decline the mention of personal needs at all in prayer on the ground that we do not want to bother God with these trivialities is a great error or to allow them uh, just as much it is, as it is to allow them to dominate our prayers. So, so it, it is both, but it is uh, fitting that these first, three, um, these first three aspects of prayer relate to God, the last three more personal. Getting right into the, into the prayer here in verses 9 through 13, let's, let's look at that in the rest, rest of our time here. Um, our Father... Starts out with those words, our Father. The right kind of prayer comes to God as Father in heaven. It rightly recognizes who we're praying to. We come with a privilege title that demonstrates it's a privileged relationship that we have. It was very unusual for the Jews of that day to call God Father because it was considered too intimate. There's no evidence of anyone before Jesus using this term, Father, to address God. Just think of how fortunate we are to come to God like that as his adopted ones, his, his heirs, um, to, to be able to come to him and call him Father. It is true that, that God is mighty and sovereign over all the universe, and he created and he governs and he'll judge all things, but he is also to us a Father. He is our Father, and He is our Father in heaven. When we say in heaven, we remember God's holiness and, and His glory. This is a prayer focused on community, that word our. It's not my, it's our. We're praying, we're praying to Him in community. Um, man enters the presence of the Father and then prays as one of the great, um, as being um, afforded the chance to be in the family of God. So we're praying our, our God. And then uh, the next phrase, hallowed be your name. This means may your name be made holy is what that word means. May your name be made holy. Isaiah 6 says, holy, holy, holy is your name. But you know, when we look at God's holiness and, and his glory, um, it's, it's infinite, um, both of those. I mean, how can we add to his holiness or to his glory? Um, how can we make his name holier than it already is? Well, we can't. We, we can't do that. That's, that's not what this is saying. 
we need to look at God's holiness and glory in two dimensions. There's an internal dimension where we can't, that we can't add anything to. That's God's internal holiness and his glory. But then there's the external dimension where when we worship him and, and shine the light of Jesus in a, in a dark world, we make his holiness and his glory more known to men. So that's what we're talking about here is making his glory more known. Peter tells us uh, God's, as God's people, we are to be holy as he is holy. The holiness in, in God's people is to point toward the holiness of God who made us and saved us. We are to pray for the holiness of God's name. And then, and then we come to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The right kind of prayer has a passion for God's holiness, his glory, and his agenda. His name, his kingdom, and his will have top priority. The flesh always wants to creep in and make our priority to guard our own name and our own reputation and to care, to care about that first. We, we're not to do that. We must resist the tendency to, to protect and promote ourselves first. But instead, we need to put God's name, his kingdom, and his will first. You know, and also in this, uh, your kingdom come, all the kingdoms of this earth we, we know are passing away. Think about all the evil kingdoms, you know, down through the ages from the time of this writing and, until now. Think about where Christians have been tortured and martyred over the centuries and, and still are being today. We pray when we're praying for God's kingdom that this justice and mercy and righteousness, righteousness of God will be realized on earth as it is in heaven. But we know this will not happen in full until Jesus' second coming. But even right now, we're to pray for the ever-increasing expansion of God's, God's redemptive rule in the hearts of men and women that will bring them to forgiveness and salvation. We can do, the, we can do this twofold. We pray this while at the same time praying for the return of Christ and the consummation of God's eternal purpose. In other words, to pray that his kingdom come is to pray both, that, that it may grow through the church's witness with people submitting to Jesus, and that soon it will come in full when Jesus returns in glory to take his power and his reign. Jesus wants us to, to pray with the desire that the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there is no disobedience, no obstacles to God's will. On earth, there is disobedience and at least apparent obstacles to his will. The citizens of Jesus' kingdom will want to see his will done as freely on earth as it is in heaven. We see Jesus himself praying for God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane when in anguish and sweating drops of blood over what was about to happen to him on the cross. How did he pray? He prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. What an example for us to pray always in God's will. One might rightly wonder why God wants us to pray that his will would be done. 
if we're not able to accomplish it, it like he couldn't accomplish it himself. God's more than able to do his will without our prayers or without our cooperation. But the beauty of this is he invites us in to participate with, with our prayers. Our, our heart and our actions uh, all in, involved in, in praying for God's will to be done on earth that is, is in heaven. And he gives us the privilege of praying like that. And then uh, give us this day our daily bread. Getting now into more, more of the, the personal, um, the, the last three. Give us this day our daily bread. Our Father says to ask for our, our daily uh, our daily substance, that our, our provision, things that keep us going. Our, our hourly survival depends on God. Every breath we take, every, you know, all the food we eat, we may tend to limit our requests to the extraordinary things, but God wants us to pray for basic needs and the needs of others. When Jesus speaks of bread here, he meant real bread, as in the sense of daily provisions. Early theologians allegorized this because they couldn't imagine Jesus speaking and, uh, about an everyday thing like bread in such a majestic prayer uh, like this. So they thought bread referred to communion or, or the Lord's Supper. Uh, some thought it referred to Jesus himself as the bread of life. Others have thought it speaks of the word of God as our daily bread. Calvin rightly said of such interpreta- interpretations, which fail to see God's interest in everyday things. He says, this is exceedingly absurd. God does care about everyday things, and we should pray about them. D.J. Carson says, uh, the, the prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. It is for one day at a time, reflecting the precarious lifestyle of these first century workers who this is originally written to. They were paid one day at a time, and, and if days where they were sick or couldn't work, they, they didn't get paid. So it was, uh, for, for them, it was, it was a daily prayer. Why do we ask God for, for things he knows we need? Well, just like parents teach do that. We want them to learn to ask. We want them to learn that, that things are, are given to them um, when they ask and their needs are met. Our Father wants us to ask as a reminder to not take his provision lightly and to be thankful for what he does provide. That's why we ask. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. And then he goes on to say, and we can all relate to this, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He urges us in, in, in saying we are to come daily and ask for this bread and the things we need regularly and repeatedly. He, said, give a, he says, give us today our daily bread. The idea of regular repeated prayer is suggested um, not only once but tw- twice. Uh, when we, hear, we see the words today, and then we see the adjective daily. Anything repeated twice in this abbreviated prayer 
is uh, just 65 words is certainly very important. And then he, he goes on to tell us, um, uh, forgive our, our, us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That word debt is a, a, just a perfect word for what we all have in us, which is sin, and we all fall short. The New Testament describes our sin as a debt we cannot pay. Jesus said this debt on, on our behalf it is what the Bible calls his substitutionary atonement, what Jesus did for us in, in paying the penalty for our sin, covering us with God's righteousness because of what Jesus did. In 1 John 1, 9, it, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then um, when we look at scripture like Colossians 3.13, as far as forgiving each other, it says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive one another. And then, and then uh, kind of winding up here, and, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptation here literally means a test. It's not always a, solic a solicitation to do evil, God has promised us to keep from any testing that is greater than we can handle, which is comforting. We see that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But God, while he does not tempt men to do evil, that's clear in James 1, 13, he does allow his children to pass through periods of testing. We need to be aware of our weakness whenever we go into a trial or even a temptation that comes from not God but from the devil and we need to be careful and not put ourselves in positions to fail. I don't know how many friends I have that will, will I know are praying this prayer, but then where they have a weakness, they'll go put themselves right in uh, that position to set themselves up, up to fail. We should pray to be spared from situations where we're vulnerable and avoid those. We have to do our part too, pray that God uh, helps us to avoid those situations. Again, while God doesn't tempt, Satan does, and we should pray to be delivered from, from the evil one, from Satan himself. You know, there's a, um, there's a theme as we kind of close throughout this prayer, and th this theme is praying for others. You, you know, sometimes, I, and I think early on, maybe I thought that Acts, A-C-T-S, and the supplication part, well, where is the supplication part mentioned specifically in the Lord's Prayer? It's throughout. It's, it's throughout it. Um, have you noticed that each, especially if you notice each of these three last three requ requests for life's necessities, for forgiveness, for deliverance from Satan's temptations, are not given to us in the singular, the I or the me, but in the plural, we and us and our. What does this mean? It simply means that we're, we're not to pray selfishly, we're to pray, pray collectively for ourselves and along with others and, and for others. We should always remember, as we see in this model prayer, to pray for others. Ask God to provide for others as he has provided for you, to forgive others as he has forgiven you, to deliver others from temptation as he has delivered you. In that way, we're interceding for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we do that, we'll be led to give to others. We'll be led to enter 
more fully into the mind of Jesus who prayed for all of his followers. And then in verses 14 and 15, um, you know, it's, it's interesting and significant, again, how, you know, we just talked about in the Lord's Prayer about um, us forgiving our debtors, Jesus forgiving us, in turn we forgive our debtors. And look here, in, in, in closing this section on the Lord's Prayer, he brings up forgiveness again, uh, showing how important this is. In verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Pretty strong words of warning as we see throughout Scripture. And to put this simply, it's saying the character and nature of a true follower of Jesus will be to forgive others. This is not an option for a believer. If you are a believer, you will forgive others. It is something they, that we do as a result of our salvation. So this concludes this section of the Sermon on the Mount on, on prayer. My prayer that has been uh, beneficial to you just to go back through these verses and um, I encourage you to continue to do that on how Jesus taught us to pray um, and, and really how to get to the heart of prayer um, understanding that there's nothing more important spiritually than we, that we can do than, than pray. What I'd like to do is close us and, um, and make this our closing prayer before Stan comes and leads us in our prayer time. Uh, this is Michael O'Brien. We're going to uh, play this. This is the, the Lord's Prayer. Thank you. He sang this song, I'm pretty sure, when he was with us. I know it's on his... Uh, on his CD, uh, but he just sings word for word the Lord's Prayer. What I'd like us to do is just bow um, in, in reverence to our, our Lord and Savior, listen to these words, and then when they're finished, Stan, you come. Okay, Dylan. this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation 
Thine is the key.